0: This is episode 55 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. welcome to episode 55 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have the one and only Luke Boyran on the show. Luke is allegedly Canada's largest wholesaler, and I believe it. He's doing 10 deals a month, so that means he's buying 10 deals per month, and he's assigning these contracts to other buyers, and or he might close some of them and just turn right back around without doing anything to them, maybe clean them out, and list them back on the market for a profit. So Luke got started in flipping properties, and he decided, hey, I'm not... The best at managing contractors. Other people are better than me at this, and I'd like to let them do it. So he just started putting deals together. And he's turned this into a very large business. Today, we dig into the nuts and bolts of how it works. We talk about zoning bylaws and how changes to properties work. We talked about how you scale a business like his. Uh, It was a really interesting conversation, really different conversation from a lot of the ones that we've had. So I know you're gonna enjoy this one. I just wanted to make a quick request here. If you've been enjoying this podcast, could you please just pause this for a moment and take a moment and head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcast or Stitcher and leave a review and let me know what you think. I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a five-star review so that we can help more people to find this podcast and hopefully help those people grow in their real estate investing journey. I would really appreciate it and I'm sure they would too. So thank you very much and without further ado, please enjoy episode 55 with Luke Boyran. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Luke Boyran on the show. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have the legendary Luke Warren because everybody name drops Luke. He's the guy to know if you want properties for a good price. Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today among many other things in your story. Sure. But uh, Luke, thanks for for being on the show. Thanks for having me. That's a great honor. I know we've uh, had a long time coming. If you don't mind, because lots of people won't be familiar with your story, why don't you walk us through how you got into real estate investing?
1: Okay. A bit of a longer story, but I'll, I'll make it shorter. I uh, bought my first property in 2007. Um, I grew up in a real estate family. So my dad was a commercial real estate agent and investor. He actually wrote a book called Commercial Real Estate Investing in Canada. Um, Still available, still probably the best reference book for commercial real estate in Canada. um, If you're looking to get into it, it's not like a fun read. It's more of like a practical read. So I grew up, you know, learning about mortgages around the dinner table Um, kind of surrounded like we cleaned out properties both for his clients and for his own investment properties things like that so I was always around it Um, so 2007 I bought my first rental um, turned it into a rooming house at Jane and Finch so wow I learned a lot of lessons (laughs) from that one Um, so I had that place for about four years Uh, I lived there as well uh, while I went to York um, and I did eight years of university so I did an undergrad in business at York and then I did Uh, an MBA joint with a law degree at uh, Osgood and Schulich at York University. So, um, and during that time, I bought a few more rentals, bought some with friends as partners, um, sold a couple, that kind of thing, you know, um, maybe four properties before I graduated law school.
0: Really? Okay. So you had a creative way of getting mortgages while you you were a student?
1: Yeah. You know, the first one I bought was co-signed by parent. And then um, that was some of the friends were, you know, would co-sign if I was buying with them. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had some income from jobs and some of the properties were a little cheaper. So I was able to qualify for a couple of mortgages myself as well. That's awesome. So you bought four before you graduated. I didn't have four at the time, but I probably had four transactions under my belt in total. Oh, or, okay. Like Including four purchases. Like, so you
0: bought and then sold or
1: uh, yeah. So like the first one bought in t- 2007, sold in 2011. Uh, the next one I bought in 2012, which I still own. I think the next one was also 2012, um, with a partner who who uh, still owns it. He's on title. And then another one was probably 2013 um, that uh, with two friends um, that I sold kind of my share to them in I think in 2015. Okay. I sold my share of ownership to them. Um, yeah, and then so I finished law school, started articling, um, basically an inter- internship to be a lawyer. And I um, during that time bought a property that was going to be you know my primary i moved in started renovating it and uh just with me deciding to leave law and all of that it just didn't make sense for me to keep that so i sold that um so was essentially my first flip even though it wasn't intentional um and then after that basically when i left law i went into flipping full-time
0: so you were articling like a standard firm did you go to 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 do your articling or were you at a real estate firm or um
1: yeah it was uh neither really It, it i dealt with securities fraud, um, at the Canadian investor protection fund. So it's kind of like a quasi governmental body.
0: Wow. So you really kind of went a different direction. Although I mean, understanding the law and understanding business are no hand in hand. Um, so you're, you're well equipped for what you do
1: well enough. I mean, I wouldn't say I learned how to like, I wouldn't be able to close a real estate transaction on my own Mm -hmm. because you learn that in practice. And I never practiced that area of law though. I do theoretically understand some areas of law that uh, that yeah. does help for sure.
0: Well, and just having the the legal mind. I mean, I know I don't know, like for some reason, like the way bylaws are written seems to make relatively clear sense to me. Like it's something I can, you know, breeze through pretty quickly now that I've had ex- experience with it. I'm sure you're sort of at that stage too. For sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. Zoning bylaws. I did my first so in the property I bought in twenty I think it was 2013, um, I wanted to duplex it and the neighbors came and complained, and I had a meter not wide enough. Um right. And I thought, no problem, I'll get a minor variance. Well, the neighbors came and complained. Committee of, adjust- of Adjustment rejected it. So I appealed it to the Ontario Municipal Board at the time, which isn't wow. around anymore. So I represented myself. I summoned the senior planner who had written a favorable report. And we were able to win at the Ontario Municipal Board um, just, for, just for a simple duplex conversion of the lot being slightly not wide enough. That's ballsy. You went to the OMB. Uh, at what age was that? Oh, uh, I was probably uh, 25, 24, that's
0: incredible man like i was just getting my start at 24 and you're already picking picking big battles like that at that age i didn't know what i didn't know (laughs) yeah because you really gotta know like if you talk to planners in the city they'll simplify that they'll be like oh yeah you just go for a minor variance that's all like like that's their first thing oh yeah you just need to get a minor variance there Oh, yeah. Well, what are the odds or, you know, they'll tell you what it costs. What are the odds of that working out? Oh, we really couldn't comment on that.
1: Yes. And what if it doesn't work out? What What is your backup plan? I mean, is yeah. it worth appealing? Is that time yeah. going to be worth it? And then if not, do you just sell it or does it still make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah that's like I, I really do preach that to people. Like, don't buy something if your plan A is to get a, a minor variance and you don't have a plan B because they could always, you know, for one meter for them not to not to grant it. Although if it was a really small lot to begin with, one meter might be a big, you know, big No, I thing.
1: think we had some, I'm trying to remember, it was like 40 plus feet that we had, so.
0: Wow, okay, so they're just being
1: jerks. It was, the, the neighbors basically said there were, it was an, a, a street of mostly older people, and they didn't want, they were afraid that a lot of students would move in. Uh, okay. They didn't want that in the neighborhood, so they just tried to refuse it.
0: But realistically, if the city uh, officials Su- support your request it really shouldn't matter what the neighbors say right they get it they get to say but if it's not related to is this minor or is this
1: not minor they, it shouldn't count for sure and we're going down a little rabbit hole with this one but what's interesting was uh, committee of adjustment in Aurelia. i believe it's still the case um they're all volunteers whereas in um in other cities they're paid oh so in really they're volunteers they don't necessarily have the training but you have this the planning staff that does and so the planning staff wrote a report saying you know it meets the i believe there's five requirements to being oh, a, so they, for, they
0: gave you a favorable response but the committee still rejected it yes and so oh.
1: when i went to the ontario municipal board yeah. uh, i stumbled upon the fact that i could summons the senior planner who wrote the report like give him a court summons to come speak at the uh, the municipal board and he wasn't representing me but he had to go and read his report saying this is minor and it should be approved yeah so the city had no defense against their own senior planner
0: that's oh this is brilliant see i don't often get into a conversation like this on this podcast so i think it's valuable for anyone listening you know when you want to change the use of a property you have to work within the bylaws. If you need to work outside of the bylaw, you have to get a minor variance, which is what we're talking about right now. And when you strike out and when your neighbors get a say, and do you pick that battle? Do you not pick that battle? And what's a smart battle to pick? Um, so the key here is, in in my head, if I'm going to take a risk, how big is that risk? How much can I mitigate that risk? And how big is my win if i do get the approval right if i'm risking ten thousand for the odds that i see in my head ninety percent that i'll make a hundred thousand i'm probably okay with that right i'll work out that math and i'll say you know what if i constantly do deals like that as long as i can float it in the short term i'm winning yeah in in your case did you look back on that and say i would do that again i mean it looked like the case was strong on your side
1: yeah we shouldn't have been rejected um i think i think it was worth it in the end so we bought the property for two nineteen, so bungalow in Aurelia. Now, again, this is years ago. Prices are, have gone up, um, and while we were waiting for the Ontario Municipal Board, uh, we rented it out long term for sixteen fifty for the whole house. Once we got approvals and converted it to, to a duplex, we got fourteen fifty upstairs and twelve seventy in the basement. Okay. On about a fifty five thousand dollar Reno, we were able to get that done. So we're in at about tw- uh, two hundred seventy five thousand, and instead of getting sixteen hundred and fifty, we're getting. Twenty-seven twenty in rent, yeah. so it definitely did make it worthwhile to have the extra unit. Um, did you yeah. keep that property? I sold my my share of ownership to my partners, and so oh, okay. they've seen most of that appreciation. Yeah, um, so good for them.
0: So, are you are you of the opinion now? Because it sounds like you've sold quite a few properties over the over the years. Um, do you wish you'd kept some?
1: I, I've kept some. Um, it's more about. What I'm limited in doing. So if I kept everything, I'd have to still be working in law, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Because I wouldn't have kind of active income or the ability to grow my business as fast as I have. Right. So selling the properties has allowed me to grow my business. The size of my business now is allowing me to buy more uh, properties than Mm -hmm. at a faster pace than I otherwise would have been able to
0: yeah i mean i i would it was just gonna say like from a mortgage standpoint you have a corporation if you pay yourself dividends that's as good as an employment income once you have a couple of years track record uh for those who aren't aware i think you're self-proclaimed as the biggest wholesaler in canada um uh, or most likely true as well <laughs> um
1: yeah i mean uh, it was actually alfonso uh, yeah. salemi who who insisted i call myself that but yeah i don't know of anyone doing kind of more dolly, dollar volume or really more volume in general so yeah, I guess I'm the largest wholesaler I think
0: okay so I've explained wholesaling on this podcast many times but we're gonna have new listeners so
1: uh why don't you recap what it is for us what sure. you do so the way I got into this was I was flipping it first so I was flipping you know, buying houses fixing them up selling them on the MLS when I had too many renovations going on for me it was about seven renos at a time was about the point where I started losing hair um so it came across that I would still get some good leads from my marketing efforts. I didn't want to stop my marketing efforts, but I'd get good leads, and I wasn't sure—you know—I couldn't handle another Reno. So that's one. That's basically what happened when I wholesaled my first property. Was I got a really good deal under contract, found another investor, and I assigned the contract to them. So I never had to close on the property. I didn't need to renovate anything. I basically was able to sell the contract to another investor. So it's like I'm selling paper. Mm-hmm. I'm selling my rights under the initial contract for for an assignment fee. Um, and assignment fees can vary from, you know, 500 bucks to over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, just depending on how much of a discount you got on the property and how appealing it is to investors. And how good of a salesperson you are as the person selling it too, I think. (laughs) On both sides, really. Um, it's sales sales when you're buying it and it's sales when you're selling it. A lot of people don't think about that. When you, when you are trying to buy a property from a seller,
0: you're selling them on selling to you.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's sales. It just doesn't, it seems backwards because you're buying, but it's sales for sure.
0: Yeah, you really yeah. So study sales if you want to be good at this. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so continue on.
1: Yeah. So um, so that's basically wholesaling, and we do that. Um, So now I would say majority of our business is wholesaling, and that's because we don't close on the properties. And I don't know that managing contractors was my strong suit. Mm -hmm. Now I don't need to do that for most of the time. So. I'm able to concentrate on other parts of the business that are my strong suit such as finding good deals um, so we do that we wholesale properties and we also do what i call wholetailing it's kind of a hybrid yeah. so um basically it'll be it'll be finding the property privately directly from the seller then we close on it and we do minor work if any maybe just the junk out like imagine i buy a hoarder house I hire 1-800-GOT-JUNK or a cheaper version of that. And then they empty the house. And then I list the house for sale on the MLS. Still needs to be fixed up. You know, it's probably pretty destroyed from the hoarder, but we just took out all the junk. And now we're listing it for sale on the MLS. So the idea is that we do get a discount on the property. And because of that, we're able to build in enough of a spread to be able to sell it um, to the retail buyers on the MLS.
0: Yeah, so I guess in that in that case, like I know you have your mailing list, you send out, so you have many people who are who are interested in buying these off market deals. Pretty well all investors that just want another deal. So,
1: yeah, if they're not on the list, they should be. <laughs> they should basically. be. Yeah,
0: and I mean, if you're in this game, you always want to buy properties. So you're you have repeat buyers, which is great. Yeah. Um, so you've got your list, and uh, and then you're getting multiple people coming to you buying multiple properties. In this case. You're saying sometimes you look at it and you say, you know what, I'd be better off selling that on the MLS, on realtor.ca to somebody who's going to just, you know, maybe they're going to live in it or they'll fix it up themselves, buy it as their home. Yeah. Um, So how do you evaluate a situation where it makes more sense to do that?
1: So uh, I can give you a couple of examples. Sure. Um, Now, most of the time we will lean towards assigning the contract first. One example was recent. um, It was before Christmas. The sellers called us somewhere in the the week before Christmas and said, hey, uh, we want to sell the house and have the money before Christmas. So we ended up closing in three business days. Really? I wouldn't have been able to assign that to someone else to close that quickly. But because we were able to move that quickly, I was able to get a really good deal on the house. So we've clo- closed on it. We're going to spend about under a thousand dollars just kind of cleaning it out and getting rid of some of the junk on it in the property. Uh, and then we're going to list it on the MLS uh, probably next week, actually.
0: Okay, that's, that's super interesting. Three days? I've never heard anyone closing anything in three days.
1: Uh, the key is to not have financing. The well, lawyers sh- can do it in basically 24 to 48 hours. But they'll complain
0: yes i i have never met a set of lawyers because you have two sets of lawyers right like who one side won't complain about
1: something like that no we can't do that it's christmas time oh it was yeah uh, our, our lawyer was willing to do it we bring them i don't know 100 plus deals a year yeah. um the other side's lawyer they, they didn't have a lawyer we had to find them one oh, okay and the closing was december 23rd the monday before christmas oh yeah most law firms were closed so uh our acquisition rep who wanted to get paid his commission and, and, and is a, he's good. He's a hustler. He, um, he was calling around lawyers saying, Hey, we have a transaction. Are you willing to close this on Monday? Um, and found a lawyer that was willing to work with them and, um, you know, help make sure we got them all the documents and everything that they needed in time.
0: So if functionally, did they just leave their their stuff in the house, like just take out what they needed and just got out of there?
1: So part of part of what we're able to offer was we gave them a we actually held back twenty thousand dollars and gave them a month to stay in the house for free. So they just left January 15th was uh, we got the keys back from them. Key point there is you're solving problems, right? That's
0: that's the big thing. I think a lot of people don't understand about. Wholesaling is that it's a it's a problem solving business. I know I've I've even like I've done some off market solicitation of properties to find stuff for myself, and I've had people say, "Oh, so uh, what did they say? Oh, you're going to lowball me." You know, and he wasn't trying to like be rude, but I guess it kind of came off rude. I'm like, "Well, yeah. no, I'm I'm looking to add value here, but not in the way of giving you the highest possible price. I, sure. I've got to add value in another way."
1: For sure. I, I mean. It's pretty simple when you run your numbers on a purchase and then immediately resell. If I had to close on it instead of wholesaling it, um, I'm paying land transfer tax. I'm paying to finance the property, even though, you know, I might be buying a cash that's usually borrowed in some way, maybe unsecured or like business funding. So there's there's costs to the capital for sure. Um, If I'm selling it on the MLS, I'm paying realtor commissions. I'm paying the legal costs for the purchase and the sale title, insurance, insurance, utilities, property taxes. Just to close on a property and resell it, you have su- quite a bit of uh, yeah. a large dollar volume, right? So if they just go directly and sell it to the end buyer without doing anything, um, then they, you know, they're not buying the property and have all these costs. I do. And then so I take that and then I take on the fact that I need to make some money on the deal. Otherwise, I would be going out of business. Um, and we just we offer what makes sense for us. That's it. If it doesn't make sense for us, we're not going to buy the house.
0: So your your conversation is somewhere along the lines of, look, I need to make money here. And this is a number that makes sense for us to accommodate your requests to close on your schedule, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, so here's our offer. And then is that really the end of it? And some of them take it, some of them don't. Or they counter and you work with them.
1: Uh, Sometimes there's kind of a range we can pay. Sometimes there's some uncertainty on the comparables. Like they're not, it's not. Uh, not identical especially when you're dealing with more rundown houses yeah. um so yeah they might come back to us with a slightly different price we might work with them oh, okay. um or we might just accept their price so they
0: look up their own comps you'll you'll will you find that with with your most sellers? of the
1: sellers have an idea they'll tell us oh this house down the street sold for this much and yeah. a lot of our sellers it's funny some of the sellers it's less about what they make They're you know let's say a hoarder or the house is really run down or messy. they're just really embarrassed of how they live yeah, And they they just need to get the, the right amount for them for whatever they want to do next in their life. Um, but they just don't want to deal with a bunch right. of people coming through the house and judging them. Um, for some other people, you know, what they get on the house is, is important or they know it. I mean, uh, one of the houses we bought in Ottawa that I, I went to go see it uh, myself as well after buying it. The seller told us, you know, I know I'm getting less than I would get on the MLS. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's perfect, right? Like... <sighs> I know like some realtors are, are put off or, well, some people are put off of getting their real estate license because they, th- they think, oh, I'll have to disclose. And if I have to disclose, I have to tell them that they're getting it for less, you know, if I want to buy off market. Well, in my in my approach, I would, I would gladly tell them, look, you're going to get more on market. Of course, you know, that's why not be up for, you know, upfront about that. You're not going to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. And what's the point in doing that? You'll just get a bad reputation.
1: Absolutely. We tell sellers, you should It sounds to me like you should be selling this through a real estate agent. Why don't you want to do that? Exactly. And they usually tell us they don't want to. And I mean, we have varying degrees. Again, we go from the gross houses. We had a house where we had a bathtub full of feces. Um, They hadn't had running water in five years. Um, But we have other houses where they, they maintain the house great. And sometimes it's a matter of ease. You know, another one, they're moving to a retirement home. They don't drive and they're concerned every time there's a showing, they're going to have to leave the house and walk around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They both have trouble standing up for a long period of time. Like, it just extremely inconvenient for them. Yeah. And, and the woman there was basically saying, you know, I don't even let Steve, my husband, in the kitchen. I don't want all these strangers walking through my house. Yeah. Um, I just want this kind of one and done. And, and for them, it was perfect because um, a unit had just come up in a retirement home next to friends of theirs. Okay. And so they wanted to buy that specific unit. So they needed to know their house was sold so they could go and offer on that. So for them, it was not about maximizing dollars, but getting a reasonable price. and being able to do everything that they wanted give
0: me an example like how the mechanics of a deal like that would work like so what do you see um like walk me through what you're able to sell it for what you're able to buy it for and and what kind of profit like that that example
1: uh well that that specific one we kept as a rental (laughs) okay you kept
0: it okay so (laughs) so give me another one that's recent that you know that would be kind of like an average deal um
1: yeah um like
0: if you don't want to disclose addresses don't like no I'm no that's just, fine i'm just, just conceptually
1: uh, we did one it was a large assignment fee uh but we we'll, could we'll, we'll talk about this yeah one.
0: let's talk about a big big one because yeah. you know what it's like if you're bringing value you should be compensated i love that with entrepreneurship yeah. You bring value you get compensated
1: so this was a house in kitchener um we don't get a lot of deals in kitchener um but i guess we have enough you know investors interested in that market um it's a kind of a two-story home I think it was a century home, but it seemed at some point that the knob and tube had been updated, the drywall, it had been changed out to drywall. Okay. So at some point, probably in the eighties, it had been gutted and redone, redone, but now it looked like an eighties house. You know, it's still updated a little bit worn, a few things here, broken, broken here and there. Um, and then what was interesting was there was an 800 square foot concrete block garage in the backyard. Okay. And Kitchener is apparently they have some rules up and coming where they're going to allow coach houses. Okay, like lane laneway houses. Uh yes, but not necessarily on a laneway. Like oh, okay. just a backyard. Could be in the backyard. A carriage house, coach yeah. house, guest house, whatever you want to call it. Nice. And so they're allowing potentially if the if what they're suggesting passes, up to three units per property, you know, essentially in most zones. Okay. So you could turn the house into two units, and that the basement wouldn't be a separate unit. You'd have a main floor unit with the basement plus an upstairs second floor plus the attic um, as as another okay. unit. Okay. And then you'd have the third unit in the garage yeah. now, when my acquisition rep went and bought it, he didn't really take into account the value of the garage that much. Um, we didn't realize until we pulled the impact that it was over eight hundred square feet, right. which is quite large for a detached garage. It's a decent garage yeah, and it was very it's a very well built garage mm-hmm. so now, when we looked at the options and realized this could potentially be three units, but even if it's not, you have a duplex in the main house, you rent this to a contractor. Storage, yeah, there's still good income. Um, then we sent that out to our buyer's list now. So, what happened is we got this property under contract at 335. Okay, then we sent it out to our buyer's list asking 375. Now, I think it was worth a solid 450 at least. Okay, um, now we weren't in this case anticipating how much demand we had, so this is one where after several people went to see it. What we do is we set up one group showing kind of to okay. minimize the inconvenience to sellers. Gotcha. And we limit how many people go because we don't want it to be a zoo. Mm-hmm. You know, we typically want five groups of people or less going to see the property. So that's really all the only people you're going to be competing with. Um, if someone comes to see it. But in this case we had, you know, five or six groups go through with several people offer on the property and somebody who really wanted it offered us 400,000. Okay. So in this case we bought it for 335, we sold it for 400,000. Now they're still getting a good deal. Yeah. And and I don't want it to come off that we typically try to get above our asking price. We typically try to price it in a way that we expect to be within 10 grand of okay. our asking price. So it might go slightly above, but this isn't like the MLS where someone prices it at, you know, 249 and sells it, it at 400,000, right? Like it's not 50 offers or something. Right.
0: Okay, so in this case, uh it looks like you you were able to clear about 65,000. Probably you would have had some legal fees on your There'll on be your some end, legal right? fees
1: and of course within my team we have our own well, costs, you have overhead too, right? Yeah, and commissions and all of that structured into our team.
0: Oh, okay so yeah that's the other thing i wanted to ask you about because this is more than just i mean you did your first deal you realize hey there's money in this uh i know i've talked to you in between and you said you know i, I kind of don't really want to flip properties anymore i'd like to only buy and renovate the ones that i'm going to keep yes. and then everything else you'd rather just sell it or you'd rather just uh, assign it basically yes. so so um how did you end up where you are? I think you're, what are you, over 10 employees now?
1: I think we have about 16, including myself.
0: 16 people in your, in your outfit. That's not a small operation. Uh, where did that start? Like, when was the first, you know, additional employee? And, um, you know, how did, how did that uh, turn into what you have now?
1: Yeah, uh, so I was doing a lot of it myself with, you know, had an assistant for a little bit. It didn't work out. I'd say in about uh, March of 2018, Uh, I brought on my main acquisition rep, uh, in the GTA. Um, so he's been with me since then. So we're almost, almost two years together. Okay. Um, and then brought on, you know, a couple of assistants didn't work out and then brought on an assistant, I'd say in December of 2018. Mm -hmm. And then it was really when I hired, uh, my current COO, um, Corey in, um, I think he was hired in about March or April of 2019. Okay. Um, that's when things really picked up, um, We'd kind of figured out the wholesaling thing. Uh, We'd really tweaked and fine tuned our marketing to be able to scale it. Um, Oh, and I should mention also, I had a marketing person on my team um, who works remotely for me from Mexico. Um, So she works now, she works 20 hours a week for me. So we had kind of fine tuned all of our marketing, gotten all of that to work, and now I wanted to scale. So that's when I brought brought Corey in. Um, He's well paid deserves it. He has a good background in growing businesses and I brought him on and, uh, since March of 2019, he's helped me hire. We've grown our team substantially and we've hired another, you know, dozen plus people. What kind of people are, are you hiring right now? Like what, it? what's the need that they're, they're filling. Um, so we've recently, we're recently, we're now growing into Montreal. So we're okay. actively looking for a bilingual rep acquisition rep who would work in Montreal. Um, We will be looking for another person in the dispositions role, uh, which is the person who deals with our buyers and helps sell them. Um, Basically, as we grow into additional markets and handle more volume, it will just be too much for one person to do. The person we have in our dispositions role right now, she's doing a great job, Um, but it'll just be as we grow she won't be able to handle the volume we have. So you mean disposition is the person handling the selling side of the things? The selling side. Selling f- your contracts? Yes. Okay. Um, we will likely be looking for another acquisition rep in the GTA, an additional mm-hmm. one, adding a second. Uh, and then we also have kind of our, our lead intake team. So we have—we recently brought on a full-time accountant. We have a kind of a development manager who's in charge of us expanding into new markets and new yeah. projects. Uh, transaction coordinator who really just makes sure all the paperwork's with the right people, that the sellers are, you know, have their hand held through the transaction. Um, uh, it really just m- helps make sure the transaction goes smoothly based on our experience with where there's breakdown. We've t- tried to fine-tune the system to reduce the chance that something's not going to work out. Right. So that's part of what our transaction coordinator is responsible for. Um, and then, yeah, we have our lead intake team. We have uh, four people who who work the phone so that we have a high coverage. So basically have three people during the week who – take in leads from sellers so if
0: somebody calls one of your marketing pieces yes uh you have a phone being answered rather than a voicemail
1: yes F- live answered between 8 a.m and 9 p.m okay uh, and then on weekends from 10 to 6,
0: 10 to 6. okay
1: so, so basically we try to cover most hours so it's just a better experience once we can answer live yeah um, help them right away and see if it's a fit or not and then our, our lead intake team will take the call and then If it's the right fit, if it's the right type of property, if it's the right motivation, they'll then set an appointment for our acquisition reps to go and try to buy the houses.
0: Yeah. And you must have reps all over Ontario because you're all over Ontario. And
1: yeah, we actually have. So we have a very, I would say a top heavy operation, operational expense heavy company right now, where we have two acquisition reps Mm -hmm. with it of the 16 employees, only two are acquisition reps, Um, but they cover a large geographic area. And part of that ends up being that we. Um, with the way we have it set up, we do need to vet our leads quite a bit to only send them on the most, you know, on the best yeah. leads. The ones um, that really
0: seem like they're going to work. That,
1: that have the highest chance yeah. of of them agreeing to sign the contract then.
0: You have a very complex operation and um, this is one of the things that I struggle with in, in my business is literally just trusting a person with any part of my operation how did you have the confidence to hand things off, you know, being educated as you are, knowing that most jobs, if you're doing it yourself, you are going to do better. And I understand that it's illogical, but I have, I, I do have that, that challenge handing off jobs. Um, how did you get past that? Or did you even have that? Or did it just come naturally to you to just delegate? It,
1: it did not come naturally to me. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of it that I'm not great with. Uh, I'm quite disorganized and that can make it, uh, uh, difficult to hand things off. Um, so a few different things that I've done. For one, I typically pay pretty well. So I really try to attract really good talent uh, and keep them by hoping to have a good work culture, but also that they make a lot of money <laughs> so they don't want to leave. Um, but in that way, it doesn't. I don't really see it as costing me more because I bring on better people that then make me more money. Yes, um, better value. Yes, absolutely. Or, or equal value, but I'm not going to have to worry as much. But the other thing is yes if my full-time job was most of the people on my team's full-time job I might do a better job than they would however when I was project managing I couldn't answer the phone when sellers would call you know my phone would call from a contractor I'd be on the phone with a contractor and then a seller would call and I'd I'd miss the call right and then I'm writing on a napkin in the car when a seller calls instead of you know being able to be in front of a computer taking notes following a process you know, looking at the property on Google Maps, looking at, you know, what other, whatever other tools I have to, to value properties and things like that, if I'm just, you know, pulled over on the side of the road, writing on a
0: yeah.
1: Wendy's napkin, it's not going to be as good of a process. Right. So even if I'm better at the phones than that person, if their only job is to speak yeah. to the seller, make them comfortable and see how we can help them, they're going to do a better job than me because I'm doing 10 different things. They're doing one. Right. They're going to be more effective
0: in the long run. Yes by being focused and they're going to get better and better as they go
1: yeah and i mean honestly a lot of my team in their roles are now better than i would be in that role
0: that's a nice problem or well that's a nice solution to, to know you know i i would i would prefer that and that's kind of like growing pains as i as i go um on my operation i am i do a lot of um well i'm doing new construction build now okay on 15 towns right now and i have somebody that's on site for me full time and i'm it's like training wheels i'm slowly giving them more and more things i'm like okay i want you to take care of this for me and actually that's been a
1: great experience some people have very good training processes for yeah. others it's more shadow me and you'll kind of learn what i do um, and that's kind of how it was for my first acquisition rep mm-hmm. i kind of had him shadow me for it took you know what now i would train someone in a few weeks it took months and months to train right um, but it was more just kind of just follow me around and you'll learn like a sponge, just seeing what right. I do.
0: Yeah. Cause you want to have written or video procedures, you know, this is how we do this, 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 and this, and it's all documented. That way you don't have to do it again. If that person decides to move on.
1: Yes. And, and then- there are certain things that we absolutely, we now have in our training that it's like, Hey, here's yeah. how we fill out. Let's say uh, this type of contract. Well, why don't we just open a zoom window, hit record uh, right. on our, you know, our share screen, hit record right now. And then we can just record us going through this once. And now, right. every time I want to show someone how to do this, hey, it's watch right the video. There. It's in this spot.
0: That's yeah, that's actually what I did with my podcast editing tutorial. Uh, so the person that does my editing, I just say, hey, you know what? One day you might get too busy and things might change. Let's record this whole thing. So I have that there if uh, if I do need to get extra help in that in that realm. So it's uh, it's definitely what needs to be done. I find it challenging to take time out of my day and do that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a struggle for me too. And it's gradual. And wherever I can, I make it one of my other employees responsibilities yeah. to do, you know, because That's I brilliant. know my strengths and weaknesses and, you know, looking at personality profiles and all that, I am very, I'm very typical of a visionary type profile. Okay. Um, at the, the last event I was at, uh, he looked at my profile and said, um, my personality is like a mosquito chugging Red Bull was his words. Um, Is that like the 16
0: personalities thing uh, test? Is is that what you're referring to? This one is
1: the, it's called the culture index. Okay. Um, So uh, yeah, it just, it kind of rates different people's strengths. So Mm -hmm. um, some of these personality profiles, even the disc profile, which is free on uh, Tony Robbins website. Okay. um, They, it helps you determine where people's strengths are kind of naturally and how they compensate in a job role. Disc is less accurate but it's still useful so you want to make sure if you're hiring someone in a sales role that they're naturally inclined to sales right? that they have that high the high d in the disc which would be like kind of your drive your determination your kind of ambition Um, if someone is lower on that they might be high on let's say the i which is your interpersonal skills right but um what might happen is that they'll just talk to they'll just want to chat with the person forever and never really go in to get the contract signed that they can't go yeah. in for the kill that's not their personality okay so if you have a high i with a low d that doesn't work you want a high enough i that they're they're personable and friendly and likable but you want a high enough d that they're actually going to get it done mm-hmm. d for done
0: <laughs> i gotta look at that that's interesting um okay so i think we should get back into a little bit more of the dynamics of of your properties and, and what you're offering so we talked about an example of, of what you did. Um, do you have any indication of the people who are buying from you, like a, a success story of somebody who bought one of your properties where they you know, were able to be profitable?
1: Absolutely. All right. Uh, I can give you a few of them. Yeah, let's, um,
0: let's talk success stories.
1: So the first one, the first assignment I ever did, this was, again, too many too many flips, got a really good deal. Okay. Um, I found someone before I really had a list. I called up a random investor. We started chatting. He was very interested. I bought it for, I believe I bought it for four eighty. I assigned it to him for five fifty. Um, he then renovated it, resold it, um, and he made one hundred and eleven thousand dollars on the flip.
0: Nice little project for everyone. Yes. So you made yourself approximately seventy. Yeah. Less your legal fees. Yep. Yeah. And then he made himself another hundred and ten. Yep.
1: Yeah. So that's the perfect win-win. And that's not 110 gross. That's net of everything. Now, yeah. advantages is, for one, he has his real estate license. Mm-hmm. So he saved on the commission on the sale where I don't have my license. Right. Um, so he made more money there. He also, I would have had gotten a private mortgage, which I don't know, and this deal might have cost me $30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, he used a line of credit on his primary. Okay. So his cost for financing was way lower.
0: So he was able to do the deal more profitably yes. than you would and have and he been was able. much
1: more involved with, you know, making sure that, Construction was well managed and closely yeah. managed, um, inc- being on site more often, buying materials, keeping those costs down. So if yeah. I look at it, yeah, I made seventy. If I had done the deal in addition, would I have made another hundred and eleven? No. Yeah. I might have made a bit more, but not not enough more to justify it. And I mean, it worked out really well for him, and he did a good job on the property. Yeah. Um, but he was also he had a lot of cost savings over me, and that was a bit of a realization when I started wholesaling more that a lot of the buyers have more cost savings than i do they're better in some ways yes than i I have so why am i why am i going through this entire renovation to make the same amount of money i would have made on assignment when someone else can also make money on this deal because they have better financing or they have Mm -hmm. their real estate license or they have friends or they're in the construction industry they have advantages over me
0: how many properties are you buying for yourself in a given year or or are you still doing that
1: i am uh, it's more more recently picked up um I think we probably bought about six last year um
0: with the was that an all intentional or were some of those accidental but then you decided to keep them
1: yeah uh i would say a few of those most of them were not bought on the mls they were kind of we got them under contract in our company and yeah. uh we decided you know this is something we want in our long-term portfolio for mm-hmm. whatever reason we have a few airbnb properties uh and then most okay. of the rest are our long-term rentals so we closed on four in uh in ottawa in december to hold long term
0: so you want to so ottawa is comfortable for a portfolio for you
1: ottawa's yeah we we like some of the properties we're buying in ottawa for sure Mm -hmm. Um, they have some interesting rules duplexing or um they have both duplexes and secondary dwelling units which seems unnecessary to have both but they actually define them differently so does london uh okay yeah, Interesting. in my experience they <laughs> yeah. Do. yeah so we have of those four th- three are in ottawa ones in brockville the one in brockville is just going to be a single family rental okay it'll cash flow and we'll burn most of our money back out pretty much immediately yeah um the ones in ottawa um one is going to be an up-down duplex with four bedrooms each for students it's near algonquin college um and then one is going to be just a typical up-down you know SDU um two-family Probably three bedrooms in each. And then the last one, what's interesting is because they also have coach houses in Ottawa. So these okay. are basically separate houses in your backyard.
0: So you're already getting the second unit, but you know you can build a third.
1: That's specifically on that property. We believe so. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if it's sewn to allow a duplex, duplexes are allowed to have coach houses. Secondary dwelling units are not allowed to have coach houses. Yeah um so that specific one the lot and everything allows it to be a duplex so we're going to apply to be a duplex and now it has a detached single car garage which we're going to renovate and turn into a bachelor apartment
0: so the big difference there is you're going to have to pay development charges on one unit to get to yeah so it makes this is the main difference between a duplex and a secondary dwelling unit is one you pay development charges to the city on and it could be thirty, forty thousand dollars. that yeah. you they're just giving the city and,
1: and that might yeah. depend on the city how they yeah i mean again because some cities just call it a duplex and you don't pay development charges yeah uh, or really as an example of that less sophisticated towns
0: in my experience yeah. the more sophisticated the town the more rules they have around that stuff
1: yes it just it's funny how the term duplex means so many different things in different areas as well
0: yeah like isn't the official definition duplex up down doesn't that have to be up down
1: no, it depends on the zoning by if you look at the definition of the municipality so zoning in London by- it's only up down so yes. I, I have
0: one that's front back i can't call it a duplex
1: there you <laughs> like go like exactly. semi detached is that way too it's yeah. up down they define it you know horizontal yeah. like or horizontally Vertical split, split horizontal from one split. over the other yeah um that's how they define it so that's the only way you can yeah. have a property fall under that specific name
0: okay so so much to talk about here. One is, um, so I'm curious, like up there, if you can get the coach house uh, in London, you have to do something called site plan approval for our, our listeners that uh, aren't familiar with that. That's uh, basically where you open it up to uh, the various different members of the different departments of the, of the municipality to give their input on, on what you can and can't build according to them, you know, and what it should look like you need to do a noise study a traffic study a a water drainage study uh to make sure everything uh will work correctly uh lots of costs and i don't like leaving decisions in other people's hands i like control um is that something you feel that you are going to need or are you aware that you're going to need to build that coach house
1: uh no i don't believe so that's Um, nice (laughs) and that part of that is you know auto um ottawa recently kind of did a push where they they recently legalized coach houses put out a whole guide to it yeah where you need site plan approval is where the lot is over an acre okay um, which is actually going to come up on uh um, we're planning on moving to ottawa and we bought a house out there Uh, i'm going to be renovating it and moving probably only in later summer or fall of this year okay um and building
0: a portfolio there
1: yeah yes. Um but there there's a few advantages to it. Uh you know, we're having we're having a baby, we want Congrats. more space. Thank you. Um and you know we got a house on three acres, which you know, and, and it makes sense for the business with us expanding to Ottawa and Montreal. For we'll still have our Toronto office, we'll still have our Toronto team, but I will be over there in Ottawa. Um, eventually. Uh, And so the house we're buying is on three acres. So uh, we have thought about putting a coach house on it as well, which will be allowed, but we will need site plan approval. So that's why I know specifically for over an acre, you do need site plan approval.
0: Okay. So you're, uh, so Jess is okay with that. Is Jess your wife? Are you married? Okay. Um, So she's okay with uh,
1: having a a tenant living on site? (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's part of the plan. Um, I mean, we, we've, we've thought about exactly how we want to set it up still early. We haven't decided, but uh, we want to set it up in a way that none of the windows are facing the house. So they're only facing the forest. So that separate coach house would almost seem like it's in the forest, which could be really appealing to it.
0: Yeah. Might make a cool Airbnb. Yeah, it could. Depending on where it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it would be a really cool Airbnb, depending on how we build it. It might just depend on, we have to look into what the tax implications would be. Yeah. The HST implications. HST. I mean, for income for sure. But I mean, on the resale if that's, That affects anything. That's
0: what. I, yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. The constant yeah conversation that I I try and bring it up on this podcast all the time. Never get a clear answer. Talk to accountants I, I and you don't get a clear, clear answer. There isn't. That's the problem. One accountant will say, "Well, if you just do it this way, you're okay." Another accountant will say, "No, that's not arm's length." You know, like have have a company rent the property from yourself. Uh, yeah. So for those listening, the HST implication is you rent a house out um on airbnb for a year now all of a sudden that's commercial use so now when you want to go sell it that house back to a homeowner that's residential use therefore hst applies you're selling that say for hundred thousand dollars add thirteen thousand dollars that you're going to pay to the government uh so that would suck and uh, no one wants to get that notice in the mail saying oh by the
1: way you owe Uh, a lot of money yeah because plus penalties right you know down the road when you figure if you didn't even know right absolutely so that's something we would have to take into account if we're using it now i have heard um if if the airbnb is used um i think i think less than 10 months of the year yeah as an airbnb and that's specifically like no bookings let's say for a two-month period but it can't just be left empty it would have to be tenanted for a long-term tenant or used by a family member, yeah. something like that, where it's actually a separate use for it. Mm. I believe it's sixty days of the year, okay. consecutive sixty days of every year you've owned it. Then the HST would not apply. I, yeah. Don't quote me on exactly check how with that your is. accountant
0: who will give you an ambiguous answer. Yes, but
1: but that's yeah. that's quite complicated if you're running you know an Airbnb as a yeah. business to set it up that way. Now, if it's an Airbnb on your house, maybe it does make sense to do it that way. Yeah, to not you know exclusively use it that way, use well, it when friends are coming to visit, etc. Here's the benefit you build that thing new technically hst is applicable anyway and you get
0: a rebate so when you just get an hst number you know this is me not being an accountant so don't take this as advice but you just get an hst number and then you never actually um, pay the tax because you're going to be charging hst you never pay it until you actually sell it one day and if you you continue to use it for commercial use airbnb then you could never pay it
1: hypothetically so i'll have to a little bit figure out how that works because it is I mean, even though you're saying building it new, but it's on the same lot as my existing house. I don't know how that all works oh, okay. affecting yeah, the existing yeah. house, and I don't know how all that works. So, so we're uh,
0: digging into the weeds, and yes. I apologize and we to don't, anyone. Neither of us know <laughs> the answers, <laughs> but these are the, the the key thing is asking the questions, right? Knowing the right questions to ask, knowing the, the the topics that are going to be important. Yes, in
1: you know, in your investor experience. So, my wife actually really wants to build a coach house and use it as an office. That's great <laughs> for idea. a home office. Yeah, uh, I. I'd almost prefer to put long-term tenants in. So we're just not sure what we want to do with it right now. But I'd, if if we can, I'd like to build a coach house. Yeah.
0: So you've got, so you'll have the properties up there in your portfolio. i um, curious, like when you're deciding what properties you want to keep in your portfolio, I mean, aside from location, you know, being in the Ottawa area, what are you looking for? What's your criteria? I know what mine is. I'm curious if yours is the oh, same. Mine
1: is a little more, I would say, lax. Some of our properties are more cash flow plays and some are, some are longer term appreciation plays. I like, um, I like properties that are not much work to set up, like in terms of renovations, okay. relatively turnkey, or, or maybe I just have a great contractor in that area that will make it an easy process for me that I trust. Um, and, um, and properties that are going to be low maintenance. And I like them ideally as more like starter homes. Mm. So duplex conversions in auto are great. Uh, we also have a f- several condo townhouses. Uh, I have one in Brantford. I have another one in Woodstock. Um, very little to do. I know people don't like the condo fees. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't need to worry about the lawn, the roof, the windows. I don't worry about any of that. The siding, that's all on the condo board. So I can be in Florida or wherever I want to be. Yeah, um, I'm only concerned about the tenants.
0: Right. And those ones, like they would only be like a couple hundred bucks a month, right? Because they're townhouses versus uh, an apartment building. I think one's
1: in the 200 and something range and one's in the 300 and something. And the difference yeah. is the one in the 300s includes water
0: which if it's including water that's something now you don't really benefit as a landlord from that but uh
1: you do benefit on the insurance because the condos yes. include insurance so they so, have insurance so, so you're, tipi- you're half
0: probably on insurance, oh, less, less than uh that.
1: maybe 300 dollars a year three to 400 400 would be high i would say yeah. between two and you can usually get away paying under yeah like i would say 25 bucks a month 30 bucks a month max will get okay. you that
0: so um i actually used to live in woodstock um but uh what what are you um like ballpark price point on those townhouses that you're buying like what what ballpark are you in? Uh
1: so I mean one I bought with a partner which I don't often do uh, that was a joint venture um we bought it for 130 put about 40 into it and it appraised at 217 I believe okay so my partner was able to pull out all of her capital she's nothing left in it uh, okay. she's on the mortgage and it cash flows every month cash flows is it more of like a break-even cash it's flow? it's like a hundred dollars when you take into account you know capital yeah. expenditures and things like that because i think we're getting bad. condo fee of 200 bucks a month and we're getting 1600 in rent yeah and our mortgage is one hundred and seventy thousand.
0: the long-term outlook on that is good like a lot of people would look at that and be like oh that's not enough cash flow but the thing i just consistently seen is rents going up so although it might not be super sweet right yet I uh, give it a few years and the rents just keep getting pushed up.
1: And, and that's what I was saying about kind of starter homes. These are homes that are easy to move. It's always going to be kind of a, a desirable property because it's going to be more affordable than other mm-hmm. homes. I mean, long term, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know where prices yeah. are going to be in two years, but long term, I expect prices in the GTA to be higher than they are now. Yeah. Um, and so there will always be a push for a squeeze of people wanting to get into these more affordable product.
0: Yeah. Actually, I'm curious. Since I got you here, what is your outlook on the local uh, real estate market, the, the the overall Canadian economy, and and do you see this boom continuing? Because we've been in a real estate boom for quite some time. I mean, minus the little blip in 2017.
1: Yeah, a little bit blip in 2017. Um, it's really, I don't like making decisions where you will have to sell the house in a couple years. Mm-hmm. I. And that that's been for several years, you know basically my whole since I knew enough in my investment journey, that's the way I felt. If you're buying right. a house and you're like, "I'm gonna buy this today and I'm gonna sell it in two years, and that is gonna be my only exit strategy. Yeah, that's just risky to me, right. Um where I see less risk is if you say, "Well, then I'll just you know it's gonna cash flow or break even. I'll hold it for thirty years." Mm-hmm. My outlook is eventually there's gonna be some kind of correction. But immigration is not stopping in Canada anytime soon. There will be more demand for housing. I don't see a cure to the lack of supply. Yeah. And so prices are going to have to continue to be pushed up. Even though I see people not being able to afford the houses, prices are going to continue to be pushed up, unfortunately, uh, for people trying to buy. And fortunately, for those who have mm-hmm. real estate, prices are going to continue to be pushed up long term unless what, we stop accepting immigrants. But I just don't see Canada doing that funny so if we find a way to solve the supply problem i just if they want to build several hundred thousand units a year for a few years but that's just not happening
0: yeah Yeah, so many variables it's funny yeah so i have very similar feeling um talk about this a lot i i really do see us going to a day and age where the vast majority of canadians do not own their own property or at least the vast majority of people who are in this southwestern region of ontario the golden horseshoe uh but that's going to spread i really do at this rate uh, just everything is so so desirable just inside the border right you can go across the buffalo and get a home for a fraction yeah but if you're you know if you're here in canada with our policies and until they change immigration uh, until they change something yeah it's just it'll just be the the divergence of super wealthy and super not wealthy yeah um so yeah, you kind of got to pick your side, what you want to be on. So owning property is
1: kind of advantageous. Exactly. I want to own properties long-term. And when you're asking about my criteria, I also try not to buy anything to hold myself built prior to 1950. Okay. Um, the only way I'd really consider homes that are century homes is if I kind of do a full gut reno. Yeah. So I know that everything's constructed to a high standard. Um, but if I'm just... Yeah. If it's just a, a light cosmetic reno, I don't yeah. want to buy it built prior to nineteen
0: fifty. Yep. all the houses I have where the plumbing's, you know, in that ballpark of time frame, I have problems. You know, leaks, backups. <laughs> busted yeah. clay pipes under under uh you know going out to the sanitary area in the road um all kinds of problems like that i totally agree like that kind of stuff i very least want to know that that the plumbing got replaced yeah and the electrical too because i just had one knob and tube everything took it all out it was all in the walls
1: yeah i i can and and that's kind of the 1950 cutoff for me is is the mm-hmm. electrical um because you, you, I mean, you do still have some cast pipes in 1950s houses and mm. copper for, oh, yeah. for drainage and stuff like that. Um, you typically don't have galvanized plumbing lines anymore in yeah. the 50s, but you do have you have copper wiring typically ungrounded in the 50s, yeah. and it's fine. Uh, you can deal with ungrounded wires. You can now put the GFI breakers right in the panel, yeah. and your ESA allows you to have ungrounded yes. uh, wires. It's just not knob and tube, right?
0: you can even get by with knob and tube but well, insurance I mean, might start giving you issues so right insurance is, is a little more difficult and the, the problem i was having is water was actually leaking through the bathroom and hitting the wires on the knob and tube and shorting out and it was knocking out the breaker oh yeah it was a real mess so i just <laughs> had to rip all that stuff out and yeah. just do it all fresh but there is a way um there is a way like i've seen it done uh, i haven't done it specifically this way but i've done partial rewires where they don't got the whole thing like they just drill into the walls and they feed it through one oh, hole for at sure. a time yeah. it's a little bit more expensive
1: yeah or uh, yeah i guess it's just more time i've i've done a couple of those where it's more about hiring a helper for the electrician yeah so hey we'll go and fish string around the entire house where you yeah. tell us where mark where you want it yeah um and we'll go fish we'll have someone who's not you know yeah. not at your rates run around yeah. like maybe a, a a student or something yeah. run around and fish these wires across and so now you come or fish you know string or so they can pull something through, yeah. so now you just come in and you can actually pull your actual electrical wire through much easier yeah. um and it just cuts their time down drastically and that's really what you're paying for is an electrician's time though yeah. of course it's much more manual and uh, nowadays i don't know that i have time to kind of manage a project yeah. like that so
0: so you were doing your own general contracting on your projects
1: yeah i was kind of hiring subs and managing the subs
0: Right, yeah, I've done it similar. So I didn't hire a general contractor, but I knew my subs, I knew my trades, and I just hired them. And I had good relationships with all of them, so they'd show up with me, you know, show up for me. a key is just doing enough volume that they know who I am and call me back, and and uh, and show up when I say so.
1: Hopefully, yeah. and and, and yeah. at the I guess the scale I'm doing now, I would probably hire a project manager to yeah. manage all of that, and I may end up doing that in Ottawa for our rental properties. We may end up hiring yeah. kind of an in-house project manager to run our our renos
0: yeah not a, not a bad idea as you scale like you seem to have scaled everything else and and have no no troubles doing that at this point what's your uh, like are your properties all self-managed well first off context how many properties are you at approximately do you know
1: somewhere just under 15 probably somewhere around there
0: okay so 15 properties and are they singles duplexes tries on average
1: um i'd say on average just under two like okay so two are we under. have some duplexes right un- under. um that one with the coach house will be the first kind of triplex i guess
0: gotcha okay and those are spread more or less from london all the way up to ottawa at this point
1: um yeah nothing in london but pretty much from yeah woodstock woodstock, woodstock Brantford, um including uh you know an airbnb cottage north of barry okay so a little bit all over and all those plan is to keep them yeah i mean uh and that's one thing we don't know yet about the hst implications on the sale of that airbnb yeah but we poured our blood, sweat and tears into that place to get that yeah. one done. We were very involved with the reno and the design. Yeah. I mean, we bought the place for 130,000 and spent 150 in reno just making it beautiful on the inside and and the design and everything. Um so yeah, we have no intentions on selling that yeah. anytime soon.
0: That's the problem when you put put your own work into it, you never want to sell it. When you worked hard on it, you're like, no.
1: Well, and it's a great it's yeah. the return is excellent on it, so. Yeah.
0: I meant to ask you the so the management, are you self-managing all of these spread so far apart?
1: We currently are. Um, now some of them are not finished, right? Uh, we're we're still renovating several. We recently added more, uh, you know, a good amount of the properties to our portfolio. I am looking to outsource the management um, as soon as I get around to organizing it. <laughs> um, basically, we're we're trying to outsource most of our real estate responsibilities because we can't scale taking wearing too many of the hats ourselves. So we're, right. we're we're really trying to. Um, so we are self managing now and. Just time-wise, we're not the best the property can sit, you know, a month vacant before we put an ad up to rent it out, right? So we're just not, it it makes more sense for us to hire management at this point with how busy we are.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially spread so far around. I I know, you know, Matt Pichet, (laughs) he's like, focus on one area and you're all over, but you know, you're, you seem quite good at it. So, and you're, you're focused on one type of property and you seem to know your different markets well.
1: Yeah. I mean, our focus in part is getting good deals on our property. So the burrs work, Right
0: that's what i was getting at before your criteria right like my criteria what's you know people ask what are you what are you looking for i'm looking for something that i can add enough value to to pull all of my money back out not most all and still cash flow if i find that that's a deal i want to do yes i would say
1: (laughs) that fits most of our properties and a few of them a few of the airbnbs were just bought off the mls we're not we're not able to pull all of our money out yeah but they make enough money that it doesn't really matter
0: yeah that's the other one right like i'll the other solution is i will borrow a private investor's money at an interest rate and if the property's cash flow can cover my entire payment and i break even and i'm zero into that property i'm into that yeah for sure. so those are my scenarios where i'm really keen on on uh buying
1: if anyone's uh looking to bring me a deal
0: <laughs> exactly i
1: mean i spent most of 2019 trying to say no to my wife buying properties <laughs> is yeah that- because i knew a lot of the management of the renovations would fall to me and i just wanted to concentrate on building my business so that's another thing yeah. is, is kind of concentrating on doing one thing at a time um and more recently as i am building a kind of a better team within my business i'm now more ready to start scaling up the, the property acquisitions to yeah. keep um but it was just you know do i manage a, re- a renovation or do i set up you know a business that's going to hire uh, that going to buy an extra five properties this year you know which one I, mm. i'm going to spend my time on one of those two if yeah. if i get forced into managing this then i'm not going to be able to do something else right
0: right and i think you're kind of done with the managing the renos part right that like at a mental level of exhaustion with it
1: well i i was and now now the only renos we're doing are for for rentals mm-hmm. so it is kind of involved and and really my wife has stepped up and she's uh she's more involved with managing our renos and stuff and she's just you know some of the technical terms yeah. you might understand but she, she's been through a bunch of renos as well
0: that's awesome. You work at a team like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to make sure that people know where to find you. Mm-hmm. So if somebody would like to reach out to you, maybe they want to get on your buyers list, tell them where, sh- where they should go.
1: Okay. Um, so you can email me at Luke B at cashhousebuyer.ca. So okay. L-U-C-B at C-A-S-H-H-O-U-S-E-B-U-Y-E-R.ca. Okay. Uh, if you want to join our buyers list, you can go to cashhousebuyer.ca slash buyers um and then same thing if you want to if you're in the ottawa area or montreal you can go to ottawhousebuyer.ca slash buyers or montrealhousebuyer.ca slash buyers yeah. if you want to get on our buyers list
0: and i know i've had people from montreal that listen to this podcast uh contact me
1: so i'm sure you'll get a, a few uh, subscribed from there so yeah i hope within the next few months we'll we'll start getting properties under contract there we're just looking yeah. for the right acquisition rep to get started there seems like a fantastic market to buy in for for price point uh really just a matter of uh different laws yes which are very tenant friendly over there so that's something to watch out for but they have way a higher percentage of people renting so there's clearly Mm -hmm. demand for um yeah
0: and yeah just like being able to get it at a decent price and yeah still got the demand for for rent uh yeah i'd be uh, interested in seeing how that goes so um i'd like to know what you do um you know you're obviously very very successful at what you put your mind to what are you doing on a daily basis? Is there anything you're doing in terms of personal organization,
1: personal development that you feel gives you an edge? Um, so I, like I said earlier, I'm not the most organized person. Um, part of what I've found recently is, is getting other, like hiring other people, outsourcing things to people who are good at those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I have a team, it's actually most of the projects I make it somebody else's responsibility to run. So I'm not really team lead on anything, though I might be working on, you know, a hundred different projects that other people are running. Um, But then if they need something from me, they come to me and push until they get it. Whereas if I have to run the project, I'm going to be putting out the first fire, you know, that comes to me and not being able to deal with that a little too often. Um, And hiring an accountant was one of the best things I've done. Now, she's just getting started. She only recently came on, but it was... Um, as I was passing off hats that I was wearing in different roles, I would pass off a hat, but then the other hats would get heavier because we'd be growing as a business with that person. So then I'm left with only a few hats and they are weighing me down heavily. So accounting was one of those, um, that I was dealing with and don't want to. Uh, and then on the other side, I've, uh, I guess on the educational side, um, once I had kind of figured out the, the marketing, the business, and I wanted to scale it, I joined a mastermind in the U S Okay um now, just in real estate in general, there's so many things that are different in the u s yeah. but if you can interpret what's happening there and apply it in Canada, there's not as many people yeah. doing it, so you know the difference here is the competition's not at the same level uh like we don't have as much competition yeah. it's just harder to find the deals in the first place, but at least when you do find them, you're not competing with you know fifty different people
0: yeah well yeah you the the level of thinking of what you're doing is so much bigger than most people will will choose to think right, to choose to be Canada's biggest wholesaler, to choose to, uh, how many properties are you guys doing a month?
1: Uh, well, we did about, uh, we're doing about 10 a month.
0: 10 a month, right? That's, that's big scale. I, when I talked to Dylan and Robbie, I'm sure you're familiar, familiar yep. with those guys. Their goal is to do 300 houses in 2020. And I believe them. Like, you know, they might not hit 300, but they'll get close. Yeah. And they, the way that they talk, you know, just like, that's normal like Robbie's just so nonchalant about that. He, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. We got 35 employees between three different businesses. <laughs> yeah. It's just what I do. He sh-
1: shows up in sweatpants. <laughs> I, I just signed the assignment agreement on yeah. with them on one of our properties yesterday. Yeah. They, you they sell bought... a
0: lot of deals to, uh, to them, don't you? Yeah. yeah I, I think, know they've they mentioned that too. I don't know.
1: Five or 10 last yeah. year we sold to them. Something like that. Uh,
0: I love, how, I love the win-win there. That's awesome. Um, when you're not doing real estate, I know you have, uh, have some things you want to be spending your time doing. Uh, what are those things?
1: Uh, traveling right now, I just work too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of late evenings and I don't have a lot of free time. Um, but whenever I do have free time, it's spending time with friends. It's, it's spending time with with my wife. Uh, we're expecting our first child, really excited for that. Uh, and that's why I'm trying to I'm actually putting in more work now to free myself up so that when I do have you know, our first baby, I can be around to help. Um, but yeah, whenever we have, let's say, free time, it would be going to a cottage just mm. me and her relaxing yeah um the big thing for us is actually doing next to nothing
0: uh, I love that. whenever possible yeah absolutely man yeah i uh i love the do nothing and getting paid to do nothing is fantastic yeah
1: for us like just going outside walking going for walks you know being able to just spend time together going for a walk in the neighborhood going for a mm-hmm. walk by the cottage uh, that's just uh it, that's just what what we want to do we want to spend time together
0: awesome And, uh, is there like, what's the most inspirational thing you could tell our listeners and viewers, something you'd like to leave them with from, from your standpoint as a real estate investor, whether it's to do with our talk today or just in general.
1: Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, I guess the biggest thing I can see is just that people are afraid to take risk and people are so concerned about what can go wrong that they don't realize what can go Right. I mean, Dylan, Dylan's, you know, you're talking about Dylan and Robbie buying 300 houses this year, hopefully Dylan's a pretty young guy. Mm -hmm. If things don't go right, he'll have time to make it up. And with what he'll learned and the growth, he'll be able to make it up even faster. Mm -hmm. If things don't go wrong, he won't, you know, he's not gonna have something will go wrong. He's not gonna end up, you know, in jail for the rest of his life or dead. You know, he's worst case scenario. And this is for pretty much everyone in the real estate game. The worst case scenario is you go bankrupt. Um, now I know they have really ambitious goals. That's a small possibility, but what's the best case scenario? And that's what people forget. If he buys 300 houses this year and that's all he does, he will be set for life.
0: Yeah. Well, I was, ru- I was crunching rough numbers on what they did last year in net worth creation. I figured it was somewhere in the ballpark of six to $8 million each in one year. That's a productive year.
1: And so it's, uh, and I guess the other thing I would say is, um, that I guess I should have started with, but figuring out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having a conversation with Kellen the other day. He brought you up on uh, commercial financing. Yeah, you know, there's no good guide on how to figure out you know growing your portfolio when you're no longer working or anything like that. But if you figure that out, mm-hmm. you're now in the small group of people who have who have this figured out. Yeah. and can now scale it to so much more. You yeah. know, a lot of people, maybe people listening to your show, say, I went to the bank. You know, I have two properties, and they say I don't qualify anymore yeah i guess i can't buy anymore you think dylan and robbie qualify traditionally for 300 houses no probably not no doesn't mean
0: no no means try harder try a different way yeah. uh, i've told the story multiple times i've been told no by a person in private banking at rbc and then went to another person at rbc a mobile guy and got a yes i got an unequivocal no like dear god why'd you bring this to me <laughs> to a yeah done (laughs) for sure (laughs) on a student rental no less
1: full disclosure
0: yeah so uh i
1: mean when you look at what i've done when i started people told me uh, you can't wholesale in canada yeah and last year we did almost 100 houses we bought this year i'm hoping to buy 200 houses and that's from everywhere i would go people say oh wholesalers don't find deals here they can't buy properties Uh, it's too competitive realtors do all the transactions whatever the situation was, people told me it couldn't be done. Yeah. And by thinking outside of the box, looking at how other people have done it in the States and interpreting that to Canada, I figured out how to make it work here. So, I mean, that applies to a a lot of different things. Look, think outside the box, try to figure out what are other people missing. And if you can figure that out, you'll have an, you'll be in the blue ocean where you're not competing with all the other sharks.
0: Absolutely. And just real quick, you don't need to get into detail, but I realized I forgot to ask you this. I've asked other people, um, including Jose, uh, who we talked about, but your main methodology for, for soliciting buyers, what are you, what are you focusing on? Buyers or sellers? Sorry, sellers. Yeah. When you're trying to find sellers,
1: um, we basically subscribe to the philosophy of, um, lines in a lot of different ponds. And what I've found is consistent marketing in any channel works um so
0: even on kijiji craigslist like even there yeah
1: we get occasional leads from kijiji i don't know if i've ever bought one on kijiji i know people who have but i just haven't found the right one Mm -hmm. so my thing is it's very hard to find one channel that's going to be enough volume to carry a business the size of ours we don't rely on one channel we rely on a dozen different channels yeah um online marketing uh is again wherever people are looking for you those are going to be your best return because they're specifically looking for your business and kind of the easiest sales you need fewer leads but they're hard to draw in so online marketing like google adwords bing ads um those work well have you spent five hundred dollars a click before um yeah we we probably spend that per per like lead that comes in per lead
0: okay yeah yeah. Um, some people are paying that per click
1: yeah it's wild Mm -hmm. um and we spend a lot and that's the thing i mean if you're heavily marketing into you know city of toronto core a lot of your keywords are competing with realtors and yeah. it's just like the black hole of money just yeah. disappears and you don't see any leads even from it. It's yeah. Um, so, yeah, that works heavily. I mean, we do, we do mailing, um, we do a variety of things yeah. and uh, none of it is the majority of our business because we spread it around. We try to spread it around. I also yeah. don't like being reliant on one channel. So if I'm able to make multiple channels work now, some of our channels have better return on invested dollars. Yeah. Um, I, actually the online ones probably cost us more. Like right. Google ads is probably one of our most expensive per acquisition, but it's probably one of our higher per contract assignment fee typically. On yeah. Like
0: a quality lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, we could go on and on and I think we're going to have you on again. Um, we'll do the next chapter as you keep going because everyone who moves fast, I, we always got to get an update. So um, anyways, thank you very much for for being here, Luke. I really appreciate Thanks it Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for watching today's episode just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on itunes if you're watching on youtube make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell Uh, and also leave a comment and hey while you're at it why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help it helps this podcast grow and i would really appreciate it thanks again we'll see you on the next episode